Welcome to this episode of Anesthesia on Air, the podcast from the Royal College of Anesthetists. My name is Dr. Ashwini Keshkamath, specialty doctor working at Dartford and Gravesham NHS Trust, elected council member and chair of the SAS committee. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Roger Sharp and Dr. Sarah Thornton to discuss SAS doctors in educational roles. Dr. Roger Sharp is a consultant anesthetist at Northwick Park Hospital. Roger has a long background in medical education and assessment. He has been a primary FRCA examiner in 2010, and he was appointed as the chair of FRCA examinations in 2022. Welcome, Roger. Thank you, Ashwini. It's a pleasure to be here. Dr. Sarah Thornton took up her consultant post with an interest in critical care in the year 2000 at the Royal Bolton Hospital. She has been appointed as the higher training program director, has been the head of school of Manchester for two years and head of school for Manchester and Mercy. She's currently the elected council member and the vice chair of the ETE board at the college. Welcome, Sarah. Thanks, Ashwini. Very happy to be here. Well, lovely to have you both here. So let's dive into the discussion. We know all national SAS work has one common theme, development, career progression, and recognition within the SAS grade should be the norm rather than an exception. SAS as educators too should be the norm than an exception um, is my personal feeling. With the introduction of the new specialist contracts, it's recommended that SES members are supported to develop and apply for extended roles in education, quality improvement, appraisal, research, and leadership. The roles should be based on ability and not on grade and help them progress in their career pathways. So Sarah, as vice chair of the ETE board of at the college, what would be your advice to our SAS members taking up the various educational roles, both locally and nationally? And could you also highlight what roles do you think are open to all our members? I think there are, everything is open because we have a massive untapped resource here of fantastic doctors who have got a wealth of experience who are already at, at the coalface training. Uh, but that's not translating into educational roles, uh, both nationally, uh, regionally and nationally. And so we need, we have a uh, as a college have a responsibility to encourage these these doctors to to in, into important roles such as college tutor and uh, and much more uh, and, and training program directors and the heads of school and, and, and any role is open. I think what the barriers are uh, have been uh, huge and we're, we'll talk about them in, in the future. But now we are looking at all of the um, paperwork around this in the college and the job descriptions for college tutor and uh, ensuring that they are as open as possible and um, have no barrier to uh, to SAS doctors applying. Um, uh, on a trust level, I, I have um, many SAS doctors in my trust and they take they are, are taking on a lot of um, good roles. We've got one that's uh, on the LNC, uh, one of them that's doing a regional MTI role, um, role and one who's a lead for ophthalmology. So uh, it, all it needs is support, encouragement uh, to, to take on these roles. And, uh, and, and as a college, we, we are extremely keen to tap into this fantastic resource. I didn't say obviously about is that the college tutor um, job description has just been revamped completely 
changed so that um, you don't need to have fellowship of the exam and you don't need to be a consultant to be. And actually, we already have an SAS doctor as college tutor, but that uh, that needs to be uh, expanded and we need um, more SAS doctors as co um, college tutors. So that's already gone through um, uh, training committee and ETE board and it's just going for ratification with council uh, at the next council. So so that's already happened. Roger, can you can you highlight as to what the college is doing in these areas, if any particular thing that Sarah has just mentioned specifically? Yes, Um Certainly, I mean, my role is mainly um, sort of around the examinations process, um, and we are certainly um, encouraging um, doctors from, from the SAS group to apply for examiners. Um, I think um, it's, it's important to clarify that the job description for the full examiner role um, includes SAS doctors, um, and we are creating a new, um, a new role uh, in the exams exams uh, sort of sphere, which is uh, for um, associate examiners. And the, the sort of the hurdles for that role will be slightly less onerous than, than full um, examinership. And therefore, um, we're hoping that that will open up opportunities for for a wider group of doctors to contribute to, to the examiner role. And that associate examiner role um, will predominantly uh, revolve around um, sort of writing questions, being part of working parties that are developing um, exam material. Um, we're we're developing the job description at the moment, and we're hoping to um, to release that um, that uh, the application process for those those roles during during SAS week. Actually, one of one of the barriers that I perceive to um, SAS group. Um, when they're applying for for examiner roles, is is having the fellowship of the exam, um, and we're certainly keeping an open mind on that for the associate examiner role. Um, so we, although fellowship will be desirable, it won't necessarily be um, essential, and we'll be looking at other other qualities in terms of contribution. Also, to mention the other thing that we're doing um, within the examination group is that. You know, it's very important that the examiners represent the membership in terms of uh, the diversity of the examiners. Um, so we, it, it's very important that we try and open up these these roles to a wider group so that the examiners are more more representative. Um, one of the other things that we've done is that we've noticed that that um, there isn't a terribly good, there hasn't been a terribly good representation of all of of all membership groups at some of the higher levels of exam leadership in the examiner roles and therefore we're we're, we're trying to promote um examiners from all from all groups to apply for those positions we've created some um sort of rep representative roles on some of the committees from the from the examiner groups who have been more recently appointed so that we get a broad spectrum of sort of senior examiners and and new examiners into the into the um into the system thank you thank you for that roger i think i think times are changing and uh what it needs is a cultural change as well and i'm so proud to be uh, working at the college who is very progressive in thinking, because we know that the GMC survey of the SAS and locally employed doctors published in 2020 showed that 74.2% of SAS doctors trained other members of staff. 
However, the same survey showed that only 1.5% of SAS were college or faculty examiners and 1.54% um, were educational leads and only 0.7% program or module leads. So I think you have rightly mentioned that the processes and systems in place at the college to support SAS members in taking up these extended and educational roles. So I'm, I'm pleased to hear that. But what do you think are the hurdles faced by SAS members in general in taking up or being successful in educational roles? So uh, from my perspective, I think this is a, a cultural change that is, is happening, but it's, it's, still, uh, it's still there, as you said, Ashwini. What saddens me is that um, I have so many uh, brilliant colleagues who have um, to, who have been treated in the past as workhorses and uh, and have had job plans that contain one one or one point five PAs, which is merely to keep yourself um, appraised and uh, and revalidated, and and no capacity in their job plans to do extra roles. And they've done those roles above and beyond, and that shouldn't be that that's wrong. It, you know the 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 new specialty grade has has, has changed that sad that it's taken this long for that to happen and I, I think what what these doctors need is a recognition of the hard work that they've been doing as as you say the GMC show, survey shows that these doctors despite having job plans that are extremely arduous and are are still providing excellent education for their multidisciplinary team and uh, and what they now need is for us to to push them forward and and help them on this journey to get into the lead roles um, and and take down that cultural uh, barrier that people perceive that that these doctors are there just for service because they are you know they are an incredible group of people who work so hard and and what has been demonstrated with the strikes recently is is they are the only ones that are still in the workplace providing training providing uh, service and looking after the patients um, and I think that's brought it to the fore actually. The, the contribution that they make. I'm so up for this. I think this is so important. And I'm really glad that we're having this podcast because I want people to apply for things. Don't feel that there, there is any barrier. You should be treated exactly the same as any other, uh, any other doctor in the workplace. I think the workload issue and the job planning um, issue has been a real real problem in the past and I think with hopefully with the new contract there's an opportunity to get more sort of educational time recognized in in job plans that is a key part of it um, I think the other thing you know Sarah mentioned about sort of cultural issues and hierarchies um, that have existed in the past and I think that that can be an issue in a local department and I think the way around that usually is to find find the people within the department that are that are open minded and inclusive, um, and really to work work with them. So it may be that um, you know the college tutor might be championing this, um, and would become a you know a good sort of mentor for encouraging people to get more and more involved. But also lobbying the clinical director or even the medical director um, in terms of sort of the job planning process just to give to empower people to sort of have the discussion around um, negotiating um, SPA for educational time the, the deaneries and HG have been pushing on this um, for quite a long time for the for the 
for the trainees, but we also need to push it um, in other directions and get get some sort form of um, sort of equal recognition. Thank you. Thanks for that, Roger. I think, yes, it's time to have some myths that are busted, isn't it? That uh, it's traditionally been said that SAS doctors cannot be educational supervisors uh, for higher trainees or SAS doctors are not equal to their consultant peers despite having the same uh, experience, knowledge or skills, for example. And this actually goes against all the concepts of NHS valuing the SAS as an important member of workforce. And it also goes against all the national documents about from HEA, BMA, Academy of Medical Royal Colleges, uh, with regards to the role of SAS doctors. Uh, so the GMC register shows, we know that the SAS and the locally employed doctors make up to 29% of all doctors. And you were talking about uh, supporting them in job plans, uh, Roger. So the GMC survey showed that 31% of the locally employed doctors had been practicing medicine for more than 10 years. That's, they may not be in formal SAS grade, which means they are not on the right contract, but they are SAS-like. So there is so much untapped potential in the SAS workforce that can be used more effectively. I think you've touched upon a few of these, but what would be your top tips for stakeholders like, say, the clinical directors network or the RAs, college tutors or employers use this potential or how we as college can um, lobby this? First uh, thing that we have to do is acknowledge it. Because I think what happens is that, that this is a, a huge resource that is just ignored. And raising the profile as we're doing right now enables the clinical directors to go, do you know what? I've, I, I've got all this untapped resource, all these people that I'm already paying and uh, who, who are already training and uh, uh, training my uh, my workforce and uh, acknowledging that and then bringing it to the fore and actually recognizing it in job plans so saying you are doing yeah uh, yeah one of one of the um, one of the SES doctors on my on call rotary on intensive care is one of the best trainers we have all of the trainees absolutely love being on call with him because he teaches them to put lines in he takes them with him he does structured reviews with them he is such a good trainer but there's no recognition of that in his job plan because he never asked for it because he's a very modest, hardworking, humble individual who just gets on with his job and enjoys training. So it's actually acknowledging that those behaviours by the clinical directors and going, actually, I, I think you've got a role here. I think we need to we need to promote you. We need to recognise you. We need to support you to take on a, a better, a more, a, a deeper educational role because you have skills that you're using every day, but we're not recognising. I, th I think recognising that you've got an untapped resource is quite an important um, factor in this. And, um, you know, one of one of my anxieties around the workforce expansion programme is is the capacity to train uh, medical students and, and postgrad students in the clinical work release. And if you've got an untapped resource, then... Um, you know that that is a potential answer to that that sort of capacity challenge, as it were. So I think I think it's having conversations with clinical directors to to try and um, 
you know, get them to 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 recognise the full potential of all all the members of their department. Thank you. So as as we celebrate the SAS week, um, we do have now SAS members who are educational supervisors. We have SAS members who've been recently appointed into college tutor and examiner roles. So clearly times are changing. However, I think it's still a long way ahead before we see a cultural change, especially um, locally well, where things should be translated from the national work. So work at the college continues since the differential attainment report published by GMC is out. So Sarah, would you like to tell us about the ongoing work in this area? always felt very passionate about differential attainment I think everybody should have the same opportunities and should be uh, be treated the same and so I as a result of of the attainment gap that the GMC survey has uh, has shown we have um, convened a working group uh, now the Royal College of um, Psychiatrists in conjunction with HE and the GMC um, produced um, a paper recently that showed that um, they could massively reduce the attainment gap by doing some targeted masterclasses um, in exam technique. So it's not uh, it's not knowledge that precludes uh, the, um, doctors from other from ethnic minorities or uh, less than full time doctors or um, others with protected characteristics from achieving their potential. It's it's often a, a lack of um, structure to their their answers, uh, 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 some teaching around time management and around communication that actually makes the difference. So if you were not had never done a postgraduate exam in the UK um, and you come your first exam is the primary, for example, it, it's quite a different um, animal uh, to to deal with as an exam, and uh, not surprisingly. Doctors who've never experienced that uh, don't uh, are, are are less likely to pass on the first attempt. So we're going to emulate that work. So there's there is no point in reinventing the wheel. This is a brilliant piece of work, and it's actually evidence based, and it's shown that just putting in these intervention makes a difference. So we're currently um, constructing the curriculum and have our first um, masterclass commencing at the end of October, uh, and we're going to run uh, six pilots of the of this in different regions, northwest, uh, east of England and London, um, and target individuals that are impacted by the attainment gap or who have failed the exam previously um, and try and help them get through the exam. And I think, um, I'm hoping that this will have an impact on reducing the attainment gap, but we'll also uh, be able to then roll out that uh, that package to every school in the in the country. So so um, doctors have an opportunity to um, attend that kind of um, inter intervention to, to get them through the exam. So that's one aspect of it. There's lots of other aspects in terms of um, training to uh, look at differential attainment. So uh, Roger uh, and I are providing some CPD for the examiners uh, at a CPD examiners day around differential attainment and hierarchy and, uh, and, and different use of language and so on. So there's there's a lot of work going on with it. Um, what else are we doing, Roger? Quite a lot of different aspects of it. We we had the college tutors meeting. We had a differential attainment um, workshop on there um, and looking at how, the ways that we um, support doctors who are impacted by the attainment gap. Yes, and I think, you know, in terms of the exam, examiner training is important. We have uh, specific training looking at sort of 
unconscious bias and and areas around around that in terms of the way the examiners um perform during the exam so examiner training is an important part of of this to to level the playing field we're heavily scrutinized as well aren't we i'm an examiner mm. as well and yeah. uh we uh we are audited regularly it's quite nerve-wracking they uh, we have someone with a clipboard watching our, us perform and giving us feedback on whether we're we're doing the right things. So, it, uh, and the the number the diversity of the examiners has massively uh, increased um, over the last few years, hasn't it, Roger? As a as a result of uh, of some uh, just literally, and it's an example of what we think is happen- what we hope is going to happen with SAS grades is just encouraging people from different backgrounds to apply and just saying this door is open for you that's all we've had to do isn't it it's, you know people say oh is this positive discrimination are we actually choosing uh to uh to employ people with different ethnic backgrounds uh, and discriminating against those who don't come from that background but that's not how it's happened it's happened because we've said we want we want you and and because people have said we we've said open those doors people have said oh right I can apply then, and suddenly the the diversity of our examiners has massively increased. So that so it uh, it, it gives me great encouragement that uh, that that if you if you just say the, the uh, do things like this at a podcast and you say apply, people do because they're like you say they're intelligent, hardworking, dedicated doctors who who are have got at least ten years of experience if not more. Why wouldn't they apply if they felt that they were they um they were eligible so i'm i'm really hopeful that this does massively increase representation uh, across all grades of uh, of S, all grades of doctor we we will be opening up the um associate examiner role um application process um in the next few weeks so that will be likely to be live from october to november um and the full examiner application process is still open at the moment that that closes sometime in the middle of October. So again, you know, I would encourage if if you've got an interest in this, please, please do apply. And again, just just returning back to sort of things that you can do locally. I think again, it's just finding a champion to sort of back you um, and to to support you a little bit. Um, and that may be from from your own department. It may be from outside the department. Um, certainly in my trust, we, in the past, we've appointed an associate director of medical education who came from the SAS, um, SAS pool, whose who's remit was to sort of encourage people and, and to develop people from the role. So if you've got people like that in your trust who are not necessarily anaesthetists, um, but are in that role, go and, go and talk to them because they will support you. Um, they will sort of tell you about some of the hurdles that you need to to sort of get over and some of the tricks of the the trade of um sort of getting your application form sort of in a good good position so that you can get get a good chance of being appointed i mean i think i agree i think the first steps are to get all the domains signed off on the gmc uh thing so you get your educational supervisor um, status and so you need to go and talk to your medical um, director about what uh, what is acceptable as a qualification to become an educational supervisor and get yourself on the register and because that's the first place to start and then once you're once you've you've done that then there's the other roles open up to you and uh, and you can take on under undergraduate medical students is a is a really good way of getting some 
um, things on your CV to make you to show that you're an educator and then getting uh, getting your local courses or, or joining the faculty for your local school. So your school will have lots of um, courses, certainly in the northwest. We have lots of simulation courses. We have lots of exam preparation courses. We have lots of um, courses of regional airway, all of those things who are desperate for faculty. And uh, and and are very very happy if you say oh I'd I'd like to help and and suddenly you then have three things on your CV that means that when you apply for an, to be an associate examiner um, to to Roger's new roles uh, it shows that you're an established educator so they're very simple steps but that's where the college tutor comes in you go right where can I help where where because they will often send round a round robin to all of the consultants going we need faculty on the on the primary um course and and the SAS doctors don't think it's for them but that's absolutely not the case you know they are needed and wanted um as as faculty on all of these courses that the school provides and um but it then demonstrates a commitment to education and then uh, and then your CV looks really really strong when you apply into other um, associate roles so it's small steps to get all of those things ticked off um, but then you're, you know, you're established educator in your department. Yes, I think, um, I think that's so important, isn't it? Like first the SAS members themselves should be aware that all the roles are open for them and there isn't. So, because there are, I think traditionally they have been told that there are only certain roles that they can do and certain they cannot. So I think, um, it's important that, uh, they listen to this podcast and make sure that they are aware and reflect if they want to take up these roles and show inclination and reach out to uh, stakeholders in helping them out or supporting them. But what would be your message to our SAS members, particularly aspiring to be educators? I would reinforce that when when you're running a course, it's often it's often quite a challenge to find faculty and so if you've got people volunteering um, you're going to welcome them with open arms and and that's a good way of getting involved. I think with a lot of these things um, in life not only education but in your career you need to keep trying to take sort of small steps each year building up your CV you're, you're sort of continually um, sort of developing so that your CV is is progressing. Um, so, so my tips would be, you know, push yourself forward and volunteer. People are never going to say no if you're volunteering for a course um, and to take things in sort of manageable steps. So get on one course, then try and get on another one and, and, and sort of keep going like that. I, I totally agree. I think certainly in our region, we've got SAS doctors running, running these courses and they started just by being faculty uh, helping out with the courses and then uh, when the opportunity arose uh, they, they said oh I'll, I'll help uh, run the course and um, before that they're running a regional course for the school um, of anesthesia so it, it's surprisingly easy I think what what people don't realize is that that yeah as, as Roger said we're desperate for, 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 for faculty we desperately need people to come and, uh, and help and and, uh, and to see yourself as a, as an educator, as somebody who who can do this is is key and get it and making that interest known. So go to your college tutor and say, "Here I am. I am really really interested in educating." And they'll go, "Oh, thank goodness! Nobody's been helping me with this airway course. I've got it. It's next week. I just need someone to help man this stand." And before you know it, you'll be running the regional airway course. 
uh, it's surprising. That's certainly how it's happened for me. It's just showing enthusiasm uh, is it, and saying yes to things takes you a very, very long way. The world is your oyster. Be positive, be enthusiastic and uh, and get stuck in. And uh, and before you know it, you'll be running the exams at the college like Roger. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. So it's indeed been a fantastic uh, chat with Roger and Sarah. Thank you all for joining and thank you for listening. Uh, please uh, see the links to resources uh, that we will put at the end of this podcast and enjoy the SAS week. 